Well, greetings. Hello and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. I'm Stuart Haynes, and I'm the host of the iFormerX podcast. Uh, on most of our episodes, we talk about a recently published clinical trial that we believe perhaps should influence clinical practice. And we know that diabetes and hypertension and dyslipidemia and anticoagulation therapy are the bread and butter of ambulatory care pharmacy practice. And we try our best to address a wide range of therapeutic issues so that our listeners remain well-informed. And I'm really excited about today's podcast episode because we're going to talk about the most powerful therapeutic tool, a tool that is available during every clinical encounter regardless of what health concerns a patient may have or what medications they might be using. And that tool is you, the provider of care. The patient's trust and belief in you is so critically important and has been shown to have a very significant influence on health outcomes and patient satisfaction. Unfortunately, in recent years, there has been a steady decline in the human connections between patients and their healthcare providers. Time constraints, technology, and the never-ending administrative demands placed on clinicians has really eroded relationships, leading to increased rates of clinician burnout and patient dissatisfaction. And it's little wonder that patients are hesitant and skeptical about the treatments we offer, even when the evidence to support their use is overwhelmingly positive. Last year, a special report appeared in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, that examined practices that fostered physician presence and connection with patients. The concepts described in this paper are not specific or unique to physicians. So I've asked our guests today, Emily Prohaska and Nick Schulte, to write a commentary about this paper and to participate in this podcast. And Emily is no stranger to iFormerX. She's written several commentaries over the years and currently serves on the iFormerX editorial board. Dr. Prohaska is a clinical pharmacist with LMH Health in Lawrence, Kansas, and works with patients in a primary care setting every day. And Dr. Nick Schulte is a clinical pharmacy specialist at Stormont Vale Health which provides a range of clinical services to patients in eastern Kansas. Nick is truly a jack of all trades and works with patients in heart failure clinic, the outpatient infusion center, as well as patients seen in family medicine, and Vail Health's behavioral health service. So, Emily, it's great to have you back on the iFormerX podcast. And Nick, it's wonderful to have you here as a first-time contributor. Thanks for having us, Stuart. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, thank you, Stuart. It's nice to meet you. So before we talk about the best practices to foster relationships between patients and providers during a clinical encounter, can you give us a sense of why being present and connecting with patients is so important? Stuart, I think that especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people have been feeling isolated and lonely making the sense of connection during quote-unquote normal activities, even like going to an appointment, that much more important. Patients want to feel heard and valued, and I would guess most direct patient care providers would say they chose a medical profession because they want to help people. I find that involving patients in their treatment decisions helps empower them to stick to a routine and gives them some sense of control or ownership, even if it's something simple like 
choosing the day of the week to take an injection or the time of the day to take a medication when appropriate. Engaging family members in the treatment plan also helps. I follow a mother and a daughter who both have type 2 diabetes that help keep each other accountable for taking their medications. And the daughter has a needle phobia when without her mother, she would probably never take her weekly injections. In her care, leveraging her family member has made a big difference. Yeah, and I, I think patients really benefit from our full attention when we're visiting with them. And the suggested practices should help us to develop more productive and positive relationships with them. At uh, some of my clinics, I'm the first person in the room with the patient, uh, followed by the rest of the care team, could be social work, dietitian, physician, APP, RN care managers, etc. And if I can do a good job in establishing a trusting relationship with our care team, I set the rest of us up for success. And generally, presence is respectful and acknowledges the patient as a person. And I would agree with Emily that most of us got into healthcare to take care of people. And this reminds us to do that to not become distracted by other demands of the job, at least when we're with our patients. Well, I know clinician satisfaction is also enhanced when we develop closer relationships with patients. Unfortunately, lots of things get in the way of developing the relationships we'd like to have with our patient. One element is time. It takes time to get to know someone and their motivations, their concerns, uh, the things that they hold dear and they value. And as clinical pharmacists, we often get more time to spend with patients than many of our physician colleagues. So my heart really goes out to uh, the physicians that I've worked with over the years because they often only get 10 minutes with a patient before they need to rush off and see the very next patient. So there are many other factors that have made developing relationships with our patients more challenging. What are some of the biggest challenges you face in your practices? Stuart, I think that in the electronic era, there are so many distractions that the clinician has to juggle. I know I personally have to balance email, two messaging apps, and the inbox in the electronic medical record regularly throughout my day. And if an urgent question comes in via instant message when I'm in a patient appointment, that can be very disruptive to me maintaining presence. Adding a student or resident learner into an encounter can also be challenging to develop rapport with a new patient when you're trying to balance not only the needs of the patient, but also the needs of the learner. I also think that having a pharmacist in the primary care practice can be confusing for many patients, as many of them have trusted and valued relationships with their community pharmacists. I have found in my practice it takes a couple of appointments for the patient to really understand the role of the ambulatory care pharmacist and how we can complement the care they're already receiving from their medical team and community pharmacy. And like Emily, I found the electronic alerts to be a big distraction, so I have all of my notifications to set to turn off when the appointment time starts. And I also take on a lot of learners, both APPE students and PGY1s, who I would agree take a lot of focus away from the patient during our visits. Many of our patients are also discharge follow-ups that we see because of either high readmission risk or... Some patients may just be referred to us for medication regimen check-ins or audits, and we rarely see these people for more than that initial encounter. And so, like the physicians, we don't have the opportunity to develop a strong relationship uh, just due to lack of follow-up. So, Emily, let's talk about the paper you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary. Uh, the paper was published, in, as I mentioned earlier, in the Journal of the American Medical Association in January 2020, and it's entitled 
practices to foster physician presence and connection with patients in the clinical encounter. Uh, and can you give us a brief summary of the methodological approach these investigators took and what their recommendations are? So the authors of this study used a multi-step approach, starting with a literature review, interviewing both medical and non-medical professionals, and a modified Delphi process with the goal to identify specific actions, behaviors, and or communication techniques that could be adapted by a clinician in a busy practice. Sible studies for the literature review were randomized controlled trials and controlled observational studies examining associations between patient-clinician interventions. Studies also had to include at least one outcome measure of the quadruple aim, that is enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and or improving the work life of healthcare providers. Nearly 22,000 references were identified and 73 met inclusion criteria. A team of primary care physicians and researchers then synthesized findings to identify interventions associated with positive outcomes. To then complement the literature findings, 27 primary care encounters were observed and physician and patient interviews were conducted. The encounters were selected by convenient sampling and observed in diverse primary care practices, including an academic medical center, a veterans affairs facility, and a federally qualified health center. Family practice or internal medicine physicians with exceptional interpersonal skills as identified by leadership or peers were selected for observations. The physicians were diverse with regards to gender, years in practice, and race ethnicity. After the selected encounters, clinicians and patients were interviewed regarding strategies used to establish presence and meaningful connection during the visit. Convenient sampling was also used to conduct qualitative interviews with medical and non-medical professionals whose work involves interpersonal interactions, including management, business finance, community and social service, educational instruction, arts design, entertainment and media, protective services, and personal care and service. These interviews were used to learn from similar experiences and identify practices that build connection during patient encounters. Ultimately, a list of 31 practices contributing to clinician presence and patient connection was identified. Evidence synthesis was then used to reduce the list to 13 practices supported by both the literature review and qualitative research. Finally, a three-round modified Delphi process was completed with experts from a variety of backgrounds, including researchers, clinicians, patients, caregivers, and health system leadership. Each of the 13 practices were rated on a nine-point Likert scale of negative four to positive four using the criteria of potential effect on patient experience, potential effect on clinician experience, and feasibility of implementation. The panel ultimately agreed on a set of five recommendations, which they called the present five practices. Prepare with intention, listen intently and completely, agree on what matters most, connect with the patient's story, and explore emotional cues. So on the surface, Nick, these recommendations seem pretty intuitive and straightforward, but many of us weren't explicitly trained to perform these important tasks. And while I think many pharmacists have learned to do many of these skillfully, I've personally interacted with pharmacists and physicians and nurses who weren't so skillful at these fundamental tasks. What are some of the things that you do in your practice to connect with patients 
And after reading this article, what are some things that perhaps you've adopted, making a more conscious effort to do more often? Sure. So just to recap the presence practices, they're listening intently, preparing with intention, agreeing on what matters most, connecting with the story, and exploring emotional cues. So for our visits that are interprofessional visits, I'm responsible for prep for our whole care team. And I provide a briefing during morning huddles, making sure to focus on barriers that are identified by our inpatient educators. And this helps us as a team and me especially to be on the same page and recognize each patient individually. And then at the start of each visit, I give the patient an intro to set expectations and ask for their goals for the day. Each time we come to a new problem, I make sure to ask about their personal health goals. And sometimes we have to adjust, have a conversation about maybe trying to be more aggressive or sometimes more realistic. But we do at least have that conversation at least once during each encounter. Also during the visits, I prefer to use a laptop. Um, some of our visit rooms can be larger because we are using sometimes procedure rooms so we can fit the whole team in. And using a laptop, I can use the rolling stool and sit right up next to the patient and look at them directly rather than using the wall-mounted computer that is across the room. And this allows me to sit directly in front of them, listening to them, make eye contact the whole time while I'm completing my documentation. And at this point, I'm pretty familiar with our system that I really need to look down during the visit so I can take notes without breaking eye contact. And I think this has probably been the most impactful change that I've made. Uh, using the laptop, going over to meet the patient. And I think that they've responded really well to that. Also, some of our post-discharge visits focus a lot on changes that have happened since discharge or other recent changes that they've tried to make. The social worker and I use these as opportunities to explore either continued barriers and coach them up or reinforce positive changes and adjustments that they've made. We also use reflective listening, and I think this has been key for me in expressing empathy to patients, and it shows that I've heard their concerns and their struggles, but also using it in those successful moments has been helpful as well. Well, lastly, I want to ask how we as educators and as role models can do a better job. Well, I've learned about some of these principles over the years in part of my training with motivational interviewing, but also my own trial and error, I, I think we need to be more explicit and intentional with our learners. What are some of the things that you think we should be doing with students and residents during introductory and advanced practice experiences to make these five recommended practices routine habits for our learners? When new learners are involved, I encourage them to look holistically at the patient beyond their medication list. I think this plays into both preparing with intention, connecting with the patient's story, and exploring emotional cues. I make an effort to identify what motivates patients to take care of themselves and then refer back to these reasons as I follow along in their care. I also love celebrating successes with patients, even if it's a five-pound weight loss, incorporating 10 minutes of physical activity in their day, or not smoking in their vehicle anymore. These are things that likely took a lot of willpower to achieve. Nick already spoke to the ties between the presence five practices and motivational interviewing. Agreeing on what matters most is so important. Some learners tend to skim over tough conversations and jump right into recommendations that we discuss during workup. And I feel that this should always be a coaching point with the learner. Most of the students I precept do a good job with asking open-ended questions, but it can be a tricky balance when you have a talkative patient to listen without interrupting even for a seasoned clinician. 
I try to give specific feedback after each encounter to point out when the learner might have been able to redirect instead of leading the patient further down the proverbial rabbit hole. I also try to encourage my learners to reflect on what went well and not so well during each patient encounter. After reading this study, I'm going to try framing my feedback sessions to include the presence five practices. This should help us identify both strengths and weaknesses that we can work on developing during the learning experience. And for me, during each rotation, we have a topic discussion on motivational interviewing and the trans-theoretical model for change. And now we've started to include the presence five practices as well. We have an extended discussion on how to implement the principles from each of the ideas into our visits. And we talk about how they're not exclusive to healthcare either. Uh, I always provide my own personal example. In practicing motivational interviewing, most of it comes from interactions with my friends, especially around New Year's, when everyone's trying to make New Year's resolutions. And I think the Presence 5 practices can be practiced in a similar way. The ideas are general enough that they can be applicable to a lot of scenarios in day-to-day life. Efficacy of interpersonal interactions is ultimately going to be a self-evaluated process. However, on my rotations, I do observe all patient interactions with my learners, and we talk about those interactions as a standard point of both positive and constructive feedback. I tell my students and my residents it's going to be a primary focus of the rotation on day one because it's much easier to learn clinical information than it is to learn those interpersonal skills. And like most things, immediate feedback seems to work best. We identify one thing to focus on implementing with the next patient after reviewing it. I also think it's important to remember that the goals here are progress and not perfection. Nick, Emily, I'm so pleased you were able to join me today to discuss our most important therapeutic tool, our relationship with patients. I think the five recommended clinical practices described in this report make a lot of sense, but requires a lot of experience to master. Well, tell us what you think. What do you do to connect with patients in your practice? How do you introduce and teach these concepts to your students and residents? Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and access our resource pages. If you are a healthcare professional, you can become a member of iFormerX. It's free, so sign up today. And for those of you in our audience who are board-certified ambulatory care pharmacists, I encourage you to check out the American Pharmacists Association's Ambulatory Care Board Prep and Recertification Program. We've partnered with APHA to make this podcast and the written commentary available for recertification and continuing education credit. Just click on the link at the bottom of the commentary posted on the iFormerX website to learn more. And this week, a big shout out to Mallory Cusis at Albany College of Pharmacy, who joined the iFormerX Advisory Board last July and has already authored and reviewed commentaries. I know that Mallory is just starting her journey as a faculty member, but I hope will play an important role in her professional development over the years. And you too can make iFormerX a regular part of your professional development, not only by listening to our podcasts and reading our commentaries posted on our website, but by becoming a peer reviewer or a content contributor. It's through the efforts of volunteers like you that make this community of practice possible. And if you like this podcast and the work we're doing, be sure to rate us and post a comment. It really helps us build our audience. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.